go then. Let's go. So, welcome to um, the TTT podcast. We've got two two guests coming back for the second appearances. We've got Chris, Chris Aldo on the site. We've just found out it's in it's in reference not to John Aldridge as Mike suggested, but to Chris, best striker there's ever been. <laughs> well, never been really, isn't it? Um, the real Ronaldo. The real Ronaldo. Absolutely. And Mike, welcome back for your second appearance as well. Thanks. So we will start with the positives. Since the last podcast, we have played four games and it all started so well, Chris, didn't it? With the uh, the victory over Spurs and Mourinho and all that. It's always Yeah, good. I, I enjoyed that a lot. Um, I've got some Tottenham friends, three brothers, all support Tottenham, been mates for about... 25 years and they love giving a little dig when they beat us last time remember what was it 4-1 mm. um, yeah love another bad game at Wembley yeah um, they love rubbing that in so every time we get a little one over them I don't mind it I don't mind it so much um, I did text one of them and said uh, when the Leipzig game was due to get rescheduled and it might have been in Tottenham we yes. said to them um, Ah, oh, Champions League football back at the Tottenham. <laughs> um, didn't get a reply for a while, but then when we lost to City, which I'm sure we'll get onto later, he goes, "Oh, there's not going to be any Champions League football at Anfield either." Shit, he's fucking. <laughs> he lost last and all that. But Mike, it looked like the football was back, didn't it? The attacking football. It was his first goal. Firmino scored our first goal for such a long time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if you're planning to talk separately about West Ham, but the the quality of the goals in that game as well was just yes. combine them, combine them. It's all good at the moment. Uh, yeah, for a little while. <laughs> yeah, which was your pick of the goals then against West Ham? Well, I remember at the time thinking that I, I enjoyed the third one even more than uh, the Salah counter-attack. Wow. Explain uh, why. Well, you know, there's uh, people make a bit of a fetish of how many passes there are in a build-up to a goal. Um, you know, they talk about 37 passes, and then when you actually watch it back, it turns out the first 32 were between the two centre-backs. And yeah. but I felt like that was a, a perfect example of when the whole minutes it seemed to stretch out the moving the ball around really was done with purpose and with intent and it was just stretching and distorting that defense in the way that we've so completely failed to do since then (laughs) Chris tell me yours as a second because it was mine yeah it's that even West Ham friend of mine texted me and said look that was just unbelievable goal Um, the, the touch the pass the finish Everything, but that first touch on his weaker foot, I, I couldn't catch it with my hands. <laughs> Never mind. I mean, I'm not talking yeah. that second goal down. Don't misunderstand. <laughs> yeah, of course, now true. Yeah, it's um. First, you've got the vision from Trent, Chris, haven't you? That that pass into space for Shaq to run on to, so so he could hit it first time rather than behind him or too far in front of him. It all had to work together. I thought he was trying to pass it to Robbo. <laughs> well, it was just pitting space, wasn't he? We had two yeah, guys yeah, yeah, yeah. space and one of them would get it and one of them, well, either one of them are good enough to get it into the cellar, aren't they? Um, yeah. Shaq for all his faults, he, he's got a great delivery on him. He has. 
Yes. And yeah, as, as Chris mentioned there, Mike, that, that first touch is just sublime. And then the, the audacity of the finish, just a little ding. Yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I'm going to change my mind. That was my favourite. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, if we consider the calibre and volume of counter-attacking goals we've scored under Klopp, mm. for that to be up there as one of my favourites, if not the... Is that one and was it Hoffenheim? Hoffenheim was a classic. We had a couple against Everton. Um, the Bayern one where Mane, that's kind of counter-attack. Yeah, quite, yeah. Well, you know, a year ago, uh, it reached a stage where I, I almost liked it when we gave away a corner because that, <laughs> I saw it as more of an opportunity for us to score a counter-attacking goal than for the other team to score from the corner. Now, obviously, that all of that's changed as Good every central defender in the, the greater Liverpool area has been eliminated. Yes, and um, I, I just want to come back to the Spurs game, Chris, a bit, because getting one over Mourinho is such a good feeling. And before we come on to the grim, the grim downer of uh, of Brighton and Man City, yeah, that's one on this. <laughs> six six points in those two away games were comp- probably unexpected, you would say. Considering yeah, I would have taken four. the draw before the game. I would have taken the draw at Tottenham. Um, I, I heard a few murmurs that. Um, they were missing players, so I thought, oh, maybe this is a good opportunity to do something. We, we might get a result here, we might be able to take advantage of that. Um, but with the way we've been playing prior to that, it wasn't likely. What was it? Three draws and a loss in the last four? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah. Um, I wouldn't take an anything for granted. Then we went and there. And the FA Cup defeat as well. Yeah, of course. But we, we played well in that, and that, was, that gave me some hope going into the Game. I thought, okay, we played well against United. Maybe we'll play well against Tottenham. But like you said, if you offered a draw beforehand, you probably would have taken that. Then as the game went on, it was like, well, Tottenham, they look good. Okay, it helped that Kane went off. Um, but even when he was on, he wasn't really doing a great deal. We just looked on it. We looked back. Um, against United, we looked almost back. It looked like we were getting back. And I thought, yeah. okay, we're here now. And then the West Ham game, that kind of cemented it, thinking, all right, yeah, there's, there's, there's shoots of recovery here. We can um, we can put this dodgy period behind us, potentially, and then maybe move forward. Um, but it hasn't worked out that way, has it? <laughs> no, Mike, it certainly hasn't. Um, we lose. It takes however many games it was, sixty plus games, and being Anfield, and then Burnley come along with a late and, penalty. And now we're we're trying to match. It seems that sixty game run <laughs> of losing every single game. <laughs> Just the most unexpected three results. Mm. Possibly the Man City one, but even Man City haven't won at Anfield for decades. Yeah, um, and that was, a, was one of those games where I feel like most of the media analysis is analysis of the result rather than of the game. Yeah. The I, I don't know what you felt as you were watching that one, Daniel, but to me, uh, was that game was at one all. That looked very finely poised. And then yeah. obviously, whatever happened with Alisson happened. Um, and I would say that by his standards, I would blame him for the fourth goal as well as the second and third. Not that it was an easy save, but it's the kind that we, we're used to him making. From that angle. So, so I think something that we don't know about was properly wrong there. He was ill at the weekend, wasn't he? And missed the Brighton game. Yeah. Um, so potentially that was something. I'm not sure what the illness was. If he had a dicky tummy or, or 
a little bit of the flu or something yeah. like that. So perhaps he wasn't 100% on it. Um, but then uh, Kelleher was also unavailable. Yeah. Oh, was he on the bench yeah, they do. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, Zadron was on the bench. Um, yeah. Yeah, because there were rumours that they clashed heads, didn't they? I it heard that idea floating around. And... Yeah, but I can't imagine. If it was anything serious, they wouldn't have risked him, would they? Really? I don't know. If, if, if it's both of your keepers, maybe you just cross your fingers and, and hope one of them can and, do and something. In, and in fairness, for although Brighton were the better team, and I think we've all agreed on that, Keller, Kelleher wasn't that tested, was it? They, they, they scored a deflected goal. Yeah. It was more they were controlling the game and stopping us from getting anything rather than them bombarding our, our goal. Because you only think he only made one, maybe two saves. Mm. So, yeah. It, it's just keepers out, central defenders out. Yeah. We all we all know the reasons, don't we? And I think you I think you're right in your assessment of the Man City game because <clears throat> after 70 minutes, all the all the underlying statistics were pretty much in Liverpool's favour. You know, we'd had twice as many shots as them, more shots in the box. Yeah. But then, if your keeper throws it to their player and they and they can Nine just times it, <laughs> it's just extraordinary, unprecedented for Allison. Chris, she doesn't do that. No, well, he did against Arsenal, but we'd already won the league and he was probably still pissed. <laughs> Van Dijk made a mistake that game, didn't he, as well? Um, that led to a goal. Um, Klopp said it after the match. He said he's saved us God knows how many times. Yeah. Just to have an error. You can't hold it against him. I mean, it's not like his Mignolet who made an error every other game. Um, yeah, I don't think most fans will hold it against him. Though my only concern would be if it freaks him out and he finds it hard to get psychologically back in the saddle. But I don't think so. It doesn't come across as that kind of uh, easily phased person, does he? No. no it seems like he's got a big pair of um, things on him. Is there any? Is is there any element that the tactics were at fault that he was put under too much pressure that there was no outlet for him because? We never really see him lump it under that kind of pressure. He usually just picks out a pass, doesn't he? So is it just poor execution or was it a bit of a mix of both with Man City pressing well? I thought it was a fairly simple pass. The little dink over to Robbo, the first one. Uh, or was that the second one? I can't remember. Um, that is a normal standard regulation pass for Alisson. He's good enough to do that. It's not like he, he's yeah. chancing it. Um, I think he just got it wrong. Um, but I do also think uh, he wasn't being given as many options as he will have been used to. You know, all the, the, the really consistent movement and the, the thoughtful, measured sense of where do I need to be next so that I can not just receive the pass from the player who's got the ball now, but from the player who's going to get the ball next. Mm. All of that is constantly going on quietly but consistently through the team. I feel like in, in well, the Brighton game and towards the end of the Man City game, all of that just just seemed to erode. I, I think probably just um, tiredness. I, mean, I know it always sounds feeble to say, but I, you know, when you think about someone. If, if the three of us went out and played football, we would be tired in the sense that we probably couldn't run after, in my case, <laughs> five minutes. Hopefully, you guys could last a bit longer. When we talk about these guys being tired, what we mean is that uh, an hour into the game, they've just lost a little. Yeah. Like a, sh a shred 
uh, of their top power and anticipation, and that's enough, mm. isn't it? Because the margins, everyone says this, margins are so fine between the very best players and the nearly as good players. You don't need to lose a lot before that margin is gone. And I think that's what we're seeing. And usually, and if you think about the the spaces on the pitch that Fabinho Henderson would be taking up normally when Alisson's passing it to them, Fab's in a completely different position. It only takes slight bit of concentration to be five yards off, too close yeah. to the Man City player, to make that pass for Alisson all the more exponentially more difficult. And as you say, coming 70 minutes into a game that's going to be quite intense against Man City, it, it just takes that level of concentration dip from Alisson. And we saw the consequences because it was game over inside the next five minutes. Yeah. And just like a striker, like Salah missing a big chance against Brighton in the second minute, a keeper just passing it to them as an error is, you know, it's a similar thing, isn't it? Yeah. But we just expect that level of keeper to do it a lot less frequently than, and probably not twice in one game either. Well, maybe that's the silver lining, you know. If he's got two of those in him this season, let's just do them in one game and get it done. Yeah, indeed. And linked to this, Mike, is an article that you've done for TTT this week um, called "It Was the Worst of Times," and it was to the best of times. And I am on board with it, to be honest. <laughs> Do you want to give us a primer about what it's about before I give you some questions? Yeah, sure. So um, if you haven't read it, read it. <laughs> I have. Um, I know you have. I'm just talking to our audience. <laughs> so uh, all it is is I was just making the point that um, for the sweet silver song of the lark to mean something, it comes after walking through the storm. So in the 80s, those of you who are old enough to remember what it was like, it did feel like we won the league every year. I know that's not technically true, but it felt like that. And it would get to the end of a season in the 80s, and I'd think, oh, yeah, OK, that was pleasant, and tick it off and move on. And the contrast last year when we won the league after 30 years of nothing was just like night and day. It was a completely different experience. So what I feel is that, that on a smaller scale, what we're going through at the moment, these wretched results and desperately disappointing performances and the refereeing and the VAR and everything else, that is that there's a real value in walking through this. And there's even part of me that kind of enjoys it because of the sense that by going through this, we're earning some kind of right to what surely will come on the other side. It does make it feel better when it when it does come through the other side. And, and this is, the, I love the, the contrast because I was trying to work out which was worse for me as a fan. Was it Hodgson? And you said Liverpool were losing some of their identity at that point. Or was it the Gerrard slip and losing out on the league title when we all had it in his grasp? Which was the most painful? I'll tell you in a minute, but let's, let's hear what Krush thinks first. Yes. <laughs> I think it was, for me, it was the slip. I, I I was born in 81. I don't really remember the success that we had prior to... Well, we didn't have any success until, what, 2000s. Um, <clears throat> so I don't remember any of it. Um, but that, what I was yearning for was that that first league title um, and that Gerard slip killed me. So the, the Hodgson downfall, that kind of era, um, Hicks and Gillette, that sort of thing was painful, but it was like a slow death rather than... The Gerard one was a stab through the heart. That was a an illness over some time. So you could kind of get your head around. You could kind of 
work it out and just hope there was something at the end of it. But when that Gerard thing happened, I know technically we went out of it, but it was we were out at that point. Um, I think a draw as well, which is the most frustrating thing, would have seen us through as well in the driving seat with the title. But it is what it is, and we've got one now. It's a shame that Gerard can get one for himself. Well, that's really strange to hear because I agree with everything you've said, <laughs> except that my conclusion is um, that that's why the Hodgson era was so much worse for me. So the, the, the end of the 2013-14 season was appalling, but in a way where I really felt alive, like I was in the middle of something and history was happening. And it wasn't the history I wanted, but something incredible was happening. Whereas through the Hodgson time, it just felt like a long, slow death and, and a growing gloom and, and just the colour leaching out of everything and nothing meaning anything. And so, yeah, it was. It was like a, a long illness. And, you know, I'd rather break my leg than uh, just be ill for a year. And that's, a, that's what it seemed like to me. It, it was a numbness. It was like an encroaching level of apathy yeah. that you had, which is... The complete contrast is what you should have for a football club, isn't it? You shouldn't have any apathy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, and it gets so you don't care what the result is. Then that's, yeah. that's when it's gone really wrong. I, I remember just thinking with, with Liverpool, we're too big to fail. Too, not too big to go down and get relegated, but we're too big to fail. So if Hicks and Gillette totally messes up and we go into administration, there's going to be a buyer out there for us. There's probably someone waiting in the wings, waiting for us to go into administration. Now, you can say... The same about Leeds or whoever, but we're not Leeds. We're Liverpool. We've got... But Leeds weren't Leeds until that happened either. <laughs> they were a proper big team. They got... were those big as Liverpool? Do you think they've got the fan base that we've got around the world? Be able to help no, them? no, not as big. But you know, they, they were a they were a significant team at that point, and they were consistently qualifying for the Champions League and going deep and challenging for the title and beating us four three with Fatty Mark Viduka scoring all four yeah. goals and. Yeah, they, they were, it was, it's easy to forget now, I guess, from the assistants looking back, what a shock it was that they dissolved so completely from such a solid position. That was, um, hmm. It wasn't so fine. much, it wasn't really so much the Hicks and Gillette thing. I, that was kind of a, that was kind of a, a longer term cloud over the club for me. It was just the, the, complete and utter lack of inspiration that Hodgson's football was about, his press decision. conferences. Yeah, it was like know. what England. Oh, yeah, it, it was. That's <laughs> exactly But you could see that with the fans because that, that must have been the first time in decades that they got sold out Anfield on a regular basis. So it was like 30,000 went to watch that Wolves game towards yeah. the end of his tenure. When you've got 15,000... Liverpool spots in that stadium don't want to go and watch them considering the amount of demand that we've got these days. Yeah. It was extraordinary. And that was Hodgson's magic. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yet, that's what he sprinkles over a club. He just keeps walking into jobs though. I just <laughs> don't Same with Allardyce. Yeah, Hodgson's doing all right at Palace. Um, he, he said some very complimentary things about us. Um fairly recent, maybe the last six months or so. Um, or something like the Liverpool job wasn't, I wasn't the right person for it or it was the wrong time or something like that. He didn't, I would have thought he would have tried to make excuses and say, 
no, it's all their fault. They didn't bat me. They pissed and happened. The fans didn't trust me. I didn't get any time, but he just pretty much admitted he wasn't right for the job. Yeah, that helps all. I thought, okay, fair enough. He's still a prick, but fair enough. I hope he has said that because, you know, that's reflective of him, but still, <laughs> but still. Paul Conchetti, yeah. Christian Paulson. <laughs> There were so many reasons. So, I, I, why are we talking about this? They, they, no, I think it, because because you've got those two contrasts, and now you've got the worst run of form at Anfield since what is it the sixties now? Three consecutive defeats, not scoring goals, and it's come off such a contrast to last season when we'd set records that had never been set. Yeah, well. It was going to come to an end at some point, and it's just come to a bit of a disastrous end. Um, it's like a big crash rather than just a little scuff. Um, and we all know what well, Roy, um, Roy Keane doesn't know why, but everyone else knows why. It's, I find it really baffling that no pundit is mentioning injuries mm. or seriously mention them anyway. But what are self fans like? They don't mention Gomez, they don't mention Matip now. Yeah. They mentioned Harry Kane for Spurs. Spurs are missing Harry Kane out injured. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're like, come on. And when's the last time anyone even mentioned Jota? So our front three yeah. have, have all played themselves into the ground. I don't know if you saw the stats that Paul added uh, last night to his gigantic novel that he published on the site. Um but uh, he linked to the analysis that Carragher did on Monday Night Football and showed that all, all of the front three have been playing something like 90% of all the available minutes since the, since the Champions League final in Kiev, the Real Madrid one. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so clearly, and that's not sustainable. And the, res- the, the response is you buy a striker who's capable of, of taking any of their places, which we did, and like everyone else, immediately lost him to long-term injury. And, and yet, outside of Liverpool fans, no one even seems to be aware of that. When he was in a hot streak of form as well. Yeah. Looked like the perfect signing. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, we're in like a, I don't know, I suppose a triple whammy because we're missing the players. So we have to move other players. So mm-hmm. other players can't get rested. But then we can't make any changes because the players that we want to bring in, let's say um, we want to give Robbo a rest, but we can't bring Simicass in because. We can't disturb that back line any more than it is. And he's not ready to go because he needs fitness. But we can't give him fitness because we can't change him. Mm. And we can't give um, Chamberlain minutes. I mean, I suppose one, or Origi either, I suppose one player that has, um, can't just come in out of nowhere is Shaq. and done mm. okay on and off. But apart from that, it's, it's messed us up that we can't pick our first team. Messed up that we can't rotate, and it's messed up that we had to move our players around, and none of them get a break, and we yeah. can't get anyone else in fitness. So it's, it's, I don't understand why no one else is talking about this. Apart from there's even one other uh, knock-on effect, which is it's weakened our bench as well because the best players from the bench. Are oh, of course, yeah, of course, yeah. So it is. It's it's like a, I don't know what we're up to. A quintuple whammy, is it? Yeah, there's probably something else now that I haven't even considered. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but that's all excuses, apparently. 
Yeah, and then my Tottenham friend I was talking about earlier was like, well, you put out this team, that's a good team. And I was like, yeah, they've done really well. Like, you can't keep doing really well if you play 20 games in 30 days without any decent level of rotation. Um, I mean, I was thinking the other day, would... Chamberlain looked awful against... Um, who did he come on against? Was it um, Brighton? Brighton. Yeah. I remember texting my mate at the time um, who was... He was watching it back at his place. Um, and I watched Chamberlain purposely and I said, there's nothing he's done that I couldn't do myself. It wasn't like he ran a lot. That's not Dunning-Kruger there, is it, Chris, that we're hearing? <laughs> he didn't run a lot. He didn't run fast. He didn't touch the ball. Well, I can do that. I can not touch the ball. <laughs> yeah, but it's all about where on the pitch you touch the ball. <laughs> I just thought this guy, he just looked out of it. So I thought, what if you played him at right back for a game, two games, three games, just to get some minutes into there, get some touches, get something, and then perhaps he can get some confidence to go into the field and take it off Thiago and Milner and Hendo and not Hendo, he's not there anymore. That's the next question. And let's do one of those polls that they have. Mike, out of 10, what, 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 would you give our transfer window out of 10? We're able to sign the two centre-backs on the lad from Derby. Yeah, um, 10. Chris? Uh, zero. We didn't sign Koulibaly. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a, a slight divergence of opinion there. Well, I think it's astounding business. We spent something like £2 million up front to add two centre-backs. One of them, one of the most outstanding prospects in Europe. The other one... A uh, seasoned player who can probably do something for us more or less straight away. Um, just seems like brilliant business to me. Yeah, I'm also joking. Um, yeah, Cabot's not someone that's just been plucked out of the air like Ben Davis. Davies, Davis. Um, Cabot's someone we've had in Ireland for quite some time, apparently, if the reports are true. So to get him for a million quid with no obligation to buy. Mm. He's got to perform for the next, what, five, six months or whatever it is. Yeah. And if we don't like him, he can just go. Yeah. I, I, I'm really hopeful to see him a bit more. I don't hold much hope for Ben Davis, but that's me because I don't know anything about him. Um, I if think he can be a body and be on the bench and perhaps get a game here and there. I think we're likely to see more of Davis than Kabak, at least initially. He's, no, I think the other way around. Yeah, well, he knows the English football. He knows the language. He knows the area. Uh, he's got less, uh, and of course, he's got five years more experience. So I think he's the one who'll be able to step in, even if his ceiling isn't as high as, as uh, Kubek. So I think he'll be the one who's in a position to do something straight away. Maybe, I mean, I would love to see Henderson free to move back into midfield. I think it'll make a huge difference. And then maybe as the season goes on, maybe we'll uh, we'll start to see more going on with with checking out in these six months whether the loan is really going to work out as a, as a long term move. So, so for for um, before if we'd have beat Man City, I would have I would have kind of carried on with Fab and Henderson, or maybe brought one of them in. But now we've possibly lost all chance of winning the league. I'd just play them both and put Fab and Henderson back in midfield. That gives us a chance to rotate. It gives us a chance to rotate um, um, Thiago or Wijnaldum in particular because of the amount of minutes he's out. The reason I say it is because they're very complementary. 
They are, but you can't play two new centre backs. They they won't have a clue what they're doing. Well, I'm you hoping that they've that, spent yeah. the last week doing that. No, no, you, you've got to have natural go the there guiding guiding one of them through the debut. Fab. Then you've got Fab and Hendo in the field in front of them. Maybe switch to a four-two-three-one, both sitting in front of them, just to you know, a bit of extra protection, a bit of walkthrough, a bit of handholding. Um, I, 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 Davis wouldn't worry me in the slightest. The only worry is Quebec's aggression, and and he's got to learn that. And now's a perfect time to learn it because we don't mind the mistakes because it's not yeah, going to cost break. The issue isn't their inherent ability, though, is it? it? It's how they fit into the team and understand mm-hmm. the shape and the uh, what everything we we're talking about earlier with who's moving where to receive the passes from Alisson and the rest of it. You know that that I don't think you can learn that in training. Not enough that you can throw two of them in at the same time and expect it to work. I think there'll be one of them starting soon. Yeah. I wouldn't expect it to work, but I would be doing it. <laughs> okay. I would, I would be doing it with the understanding that there's likely to be mistakes, but after th- three games, four games, they would have a better understanding than just putting one in with a, with a central midfielder because they're not going to be learning centre-back skills off Henderson and Fabinho. They're going no. to be learning coping mechanisms, but they're not going to be learning the intrinsic elements of being a centre-back, whereas if they're both playing together, they might bring each other along, and that's what I thought they complemented each other, although it might be an absolute shit show if they started against Leicester. No, I don't agree. I think um, you can argue you may, maybe won't learn centre-back skills from uh, Henderson, but you'll learn Liverpool centre-back skills, and that's what needs to be learned. Mm. You know, Davis is a good centre-back, but it's not Liverpool centre-back, and that's what he needs to learn. And the other thing is, I would imagine he would be learning that from Fabinho rather than Henderson, and I think he's a top-quality centre-back by any measure. True. Just the instinctive centre-back skills that you need that Van Dijk's got, that Matip's got, that Gomez has got. I'm not sure Fab's got them. No? He's got the wonderfully individual defensive skills that he uses as a holding midfielder and a right back and applies it to centre back rather than. Do you, I don't think he's a world class centre back in the terms of that I would class Van Dijk and Gomez as. I think he's put world class performances in as a centre back. I think there's a slight difference. He's probably the top 10 centre back in the league. That's, that's, that's name me ten better than him. I'd say love, um, when Klopp used to say Lovren is world class, and everyone used to laugh at him. But when you try and think of twenty centre backs that are better, than you like, his performances are top three. And I'm sure the last time I spoke to Mike, it was we were talking about him as the best. I'm not dis. I'm not saying he's not putting in the best performances, but I don't. I I think we've been. I think his defense is defensive performances have been reading the, the tackling, the last ditchness, the, the aerial skills, the distribution. How are those not centre-back skills? Because I don't think we've had any level of organisation. I don't <laughs> think, I don't think they sink as, I don't think they've been sinking as a unit all four. And I think that comes from players being slightly out of position, like against in the Man City game, by not being in the correct spaces that they used to. Alisson's got a more difficult pass. And I think there's just tiny elements of that within our whole setup, which is why the dynamic's not quite as good 
as when you've got a centre back in there who's used to doing it and has done it for years. Hmm. So sink or swim. I I, th- I think Fab survives all the time. It's just I don't think he's uh, yeah I don't think he's part of a unit as a centre back is. I think he's you can see the individual skills he's got, attributes he's got, but not. Not that I think Van Dyke's got. I think Van Dyke closes situations down, but he also makes everyone else around him do what he wants them to do because he's used to it and he's controlling it. And I don't think I think Henderson's got that element, but doesn't have some of the phys- physical attributes that Fab's got in individual situations defensively. How old was Hamels when Klopp chucked him in at Dortmund? He was excellent. Really young, yeah. Kabak's it's got everything really. Honestly, I've never seen him play. I've never even heard of Ben Davis. When I saw the headline, I thought we signed that guy from Tottenham. Um, <laughs> Klopp said that in his post match, isn't it? I mean, I was looking at some numbers earlier. Um, we are we're fourth. If we extrapolate that for 38 games, that works out to 66 points. We'll get you four. That means we need to get um, 26 from 15 games. About two points a game. Well, just under two points a game. We should be able to get that with a new centre-back pairing, shouldn't we? If that enables us to rotate the midfield and perhaps give some of the guys up front a break and some support as well and service. Because um, that's a big thing that we've been missing. The, the energy and the dynamics in midfield have not allowed everyone else to do their jobs. So maybe if, I don't know, okay, it'll be a new centre-back pairing, but you might be able to allow Trent to go up a bit more because Hendo and Fab are behind him. You might get Rap, um, Robbo might <clears throat> overlap a little bit more because he knows he's being covered. Uh, you might get some better, I'm going to say better quality passes, but there's not many better passes than Thiago, um, despite what some people say. So maybe, yeah, maybe Dan's idea isn't quite as dark as we've heard before. At least one of them going back into the field, I think, would help. Yeah. yeah. Are, you, are you saying that, Mike? Are you saying that you don't think Klopp's going to do it or you wouldn't do it? Well, both of those things, but that's because I just assume that Klopp <laughs> thinks the same as me. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but I, I mean, I strongly agree with badly, badly missed Henderson in midfield. Um, mm. And to get either one of those two back in midfield, I think just changes the shape of the team in, in subtle ways. Yeah, I agree with that. So what's your outlook then for the... Well, let's let's have some predictions put down. After this Man City game, we should all be at the lowest of the low. Do you think we're going to come top four, Mike, with any yeah. kind of Champions League? Yeah, yeah, come on. Who's there are not four better teams in the league than Liverpool, not even in in the depleted state. I don't know. I think there's just one. Yeah. Chris? Um we're on the same well no, we're slightly fewer points than Leicester and we played them this weekend. That really could go either way. Um Rogers has got a history of shit in the bed when it really matters. Against us apart, in particular. Apart from at Celtic, but <laughs> I could win the league with that sort of team. Although they're not doing too well this year, are they? Um, 
You're very versatile. Now. Yes, you, 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 you can play, play the Oxalate Chamberlain while winning the league in the SPL. Yeah. <laughs> um, can you provide yeah, us with some oil billions? Yeah, that would help me useful. That would be really useful. That would help me get there. That would achieve my target. Go um, on, mail down a prediction. It's, uh, there's not much difference between finished second, third, or fourth, is there? No. In terms, apart from, was it two million, two and a half million per um, spot? Which is useful. Five million, five million but. I'd... Five million quid, which is. <laughs> Now that buys you two good centre backs these days. Yeah, get four in a window. Um, and then the go straight into the group stage, and that's then based on coefficients, isn't it? Yeah. So should we direct our focus to the Champions League? Mm. I mean, if we look at the fixtures that are coming up, um, I had a quick look earlier. But Leicester, then we've got Leipzig in um, Budapest. Then we've got Everton four days later. Then we've got eight days till Sheffield United. So there's a fairly decent gap there. That's where we would have been playing the FA Cup, I presume. Mm. Um, then we've got Fulham at home before we play Leipzig. Now, is that an opportunity there to potentially make some changes and say, look, you know what, Fulham, they're not that great. We'll probably beat them. Well, they'll probably beat Brian and Burnley as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think what we've seen recently is we tend to play better in the harder games. Yeah. So I don't know how I'm, you more, can... I'm more confident playing Leicester and Everton than I am. Yeah. Fulham were really good when we played them. They seemed to switch out didn't they, last time. Yeah. They, they were rubbish and then they switched up the system and then they've seemed to do all right since then. Is this Fulham? Fulham, yeah. Fulham, yeah. They uh, had the most incredible crowd. I don't know whether you guys were aware of it. But they had their they were allowed their two thousand people in in that brief window. Yeah. They made so much noise all the way I through. I loved it. And then, by comparison, when I heard, the, I've got to say, Liverpool's 2,000 fans when we played at home, were, were they weren't at the races in comparison with the Fulham fans. Did we have three games? I'm sure I've seen we had three games with the home fans, maybe two, but I thought the first one we were good. Yeah, three. So we had, we had, they were, oh no, that's the Fulham away game, isn't it? So we just had two. Mm. So yeah, just the Spurs. I mean, um, the stadium's what, half the size of us. West Brom was the last one. Right. Great. Yeah, I mean, stadium size factors in, but I, I thought I just thought they did a great job, and I think the fans were probably a big part of the reason that Fulham played so well in that match. Mm, I do, I do like it was. It was nice to hear, even though if it, even though it was the opposition fans, it's mm. something quite something quite visceral about the away fans when the chant, uh, the home fans when they're chanting against your team and your yeah. the away side, and it brings that energy. Yeah. I think we're kind of a down note today has, has been um, has been announced, and that's um, Klopp's mom's passed away. Uh, I believe it happened after the Burnley game. And that, how much can we reflect on that? First, obviously, it must be horrendous for Jurgen not to be able to go back to Germany for a start for the funeral, um, but just to. Just to manage a football team when that's going on, it must be. Mike, any thoughts? I, I just can't imagine. I would have taken yeah. the time off. Yeah. Uh, and who knows to what extent that's played into how things have been around the club and with the team. Even, But, yeah, mm. it's an awful situation. And I, I've got nothing but sympathy. Mm. It's just kind of explains a bit, doesn't it? Mm. 
Gretch. Yeah. Um, thankfully, thankfully, I haven't lost a pair of them. Um, but I can't imagine how it would affect me, never mind a high pressure situation like he's under. Mm. Um, to have to deal with those emotions and the emotions of the job. Um, I'm surprised he didn't take some sort of compassionate leave even. But then perhaps it, it just helps him to get through it, just carry on like normal and focus on something else rather than sit at home and dwell and not be able to do anything stuck at, in lockdown and not be able to move and go and see your family and grieve together. Um, was it definitely after the Burnley game? Was yeah, it? it was before the Burnley game, just before the was Burnley it? game, I think of it. But it's, I, I think I'm with you. He doesn't seem like the kind of person who, if he couldn't go back to Germany and help with everything, I don't think he'd want to just sit at home while someone was getting on with the job that he'd like to be doing, you know? It seemed like someone who want to have something to do rather than someone who would sit there and... And and, and he is a devout Christian, we have to remember that. And it, it, it's, his quote said that, you know, he thinks his mum's gone to a better place now, so that, that's going to help him as well. So it's just incredibly sad. And you can you can see a, you can see a reduction in his energy, can't you, Mike? Yeah, I think so. And it's... The thing is, I, I just really love him. I, I, I don't know what's happened to him. You know, <laughs> even fans of other clubs, I think, can't help but love him. It's like the way we can't help but have a grudging respect for Marcus Rashford. You know? Yeah, I've got anxiety about his contract running out in 2024. Yeah, he signed a new a new one last December, didn't they? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, three years he's left, just over three years. Oh, we, I didn't hear any any suggestions of Champions League victories. Do you think we could ride that wave? Yeah, sure. Change of things have happened. And uh, again, you know, so much depends on what happens with the injuries and in it may be that things just come together at the right time and centre-backs are bedded in, Jota returns, Henderson and Fabinho come into midfield. By the time we get to the sharp end of the Champions League, I, I wouldn't rule us out. Mm. I'm not saying we're favourites. Just think we're still third favourites, is that right? After City yeah. one, I believe. I'd, I'd imagine City are big favourites, but if I uh, can have a quick look, I I would say if we can get through the Leipzig one, which could is even made even more tricky because we're going to Budapest, and I'm not sure about that rule change. To be fair, I I I find it a little bit questioning the. Integrity of the competition if teams are not playing. Well, it's just German in, law, in their own country, but it is German law. And there's nothing that could be done. But then the club shouldn't be in the Champions League. You think we should get a buy? I think we should get a buy. I think. <laughs> I think they should have made the rule up at the start of the season. It wasn't as if they weren't aware that this might have been a possibility. And they've had long enough since the group stage ended to now to put those yeah. into place. Yeah. I'm making alterations to it. It's not like, um, like saying it's not come out of the blue, has it? But yeah. there's just been such a, a, a denial about COVID in, I think, in every area. Football administration, obviously, our what I suppose, for want of a better word, we have to call our government. And and I've seen it in our church as well. You know, everywhere you look, people don't really want to believe mm. that it, it's real and it's still going to be real in a week, in a month, and six months. 
I would say, uh, just checking the um, Man City, uh, 35% predicted to win, then Bayern Munich, 14%, Barcelona, 13%, and Liverpool, 7%. So we're fourth favourites ahead of Madrid and Chelsea, Juve and Dortmund. What's that? Well, yeah, I was going to say how Barcelona ahead of us in the favourites, but look how we're playing at the moment. How is that? Is, what is that based on? Is that based on current league form? Or? That's based on the 538 um, XG ratings for each side's performances in the last six to eight months rolling. So Man City are rated the best side in Europe. We were the best. There's really got a thing for Man City, though. They always seem they to have rate them higher are, yeah. than anyone else. The last time we were higher, ranked higher than Man City was just before the Atletico Madrid game last season. Hmm. Really? And then we well, lost. in the Champions League, then still. That's yeah, well, no, we were we were ahead of we were the best ranked side in Europe at that point, and then we lost to Atletico, and it we've been second or third since then. Now clearly fourth, it's, but we'll see. It's a bad month, it's um, interesting that the last game at Anfield was the Atletico game, and then the last game with fans at Anfield was the West Brom game. Yeah. Two real downers to end our fans at the ground. Right. Last game in front of the old cop was that Norwich game. <laughs> Who scored? Is it Jeremy Goss? Uh, who scored? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure I read recently who scored the last goal. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Anyway, let's let's not end on a high. We think we've got a chance of winning the Champions League. We haven't got a chance of winning the league, so <laughs> at least we didn't go down that that rabbit hole. Thanks for your time, I boys. Think, I don't think we have a chance of winning the league, but yeah, I, I'm not quite ready to write it off. Not quite. Good. You know, we're only only ten points behind. Yeah. It's it's a stupid season. Yeah, it's playing. Uh, City will get an injury crisis like ours, and all of a sudden they lost to Port last season, and that was everyone's excuse for them to be yeah. less than good. They lose Diaz, for example. They lose. Um, I mean, they've lost Aguero, who's a pretty good stonking player. Um, but they lose. I don't know. Who's, who's their most important player? Gundogan. Same. They've lost De Bruyne as well, haven't they? Last UK, they've done it right. Um, but yeah, let's see if they can handle it if they lose it for the long term rather than just three, four games at a time. Um, not that I wish injuries on anyone, but yeah, no, I mean, they're obviously very, very strong favourites. I'm just not quite given up yet, and maybe that's why I'm, I'm less gung ho about throwing in all the new centre backs. <laughs> True, I've completely given up, and that's why I prefer to take that risk. Not in the Champions League, though, let me say that. Endo and Fab. Thanks for your time, by the way. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Much appreciated.